Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh, clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're getting back to the great state of Arkansas with Mr. Michael Ball and Sonny McCumpsey. Michael, how are you? Doing good. How are you guys down in Alabama? Oh, dude, I'm doing good, man. Survived this, you know, crazy thunderstorm that just tried to roll through and blow my house over. But, uh, Sonny, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Just living life. I Love that. it. 
I heard that. Jacob, how are you doing over here? I'm doing well. Listen, I'm excited. This has been like two years in the in the making for this episode. Uh, it's kind of funny. Like, Michael, I've had you... So, in, in your contacts, at least on an iPhone, you can like select up to like nine people that you have at the very top of your list, and your name's been on the top of my list uh, for about 18 months now. So, we're, fi- <laughs> we're finally making this happen. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, I got you in my contacts, and you know, we've been back and forth, and, and it's really good to get this going, and, and I'm excited. Absolutely. And I'm super excited about this conversation. And I think this might be the first of a couple episodes with you guys just because there's, there's so much here to talk about, but we'll kind of do a, a high overview of uh, both you two. So real quick, uh, Michael, maybe you kind of lead us off. What is your relationship with Sonny as in, you know, kind of being family and everything, but when it came to hunting, what is y'all's background hunting in Arkansas, especially hunting a lot of public land? And, and you know, how long have y'all kind of been doing it together, but also kind of feeding off each other when it comes to information and kind of learning stuff at a lot quicker pace? Okay, so we, of course, we're really, really close. Uh, our grandpas and grandmas are brother and sister. We started out hunting in a family deer camp in the early 60s is when our camp was, was started down in South Arkansas, which in the past has always been the, called the deer factory of Arkansas. It's tons and tons of deer down there. So we started out hunting down there. Uh, as we got older, I mean, and that that's a deep, deep family tradition. There's still in that camp. Our family members are still down there. And as we got older, we realized we wanted to hunt more mature deer uh, and kind of uh, branch out and and kind of and kind of get our hunting skills, kind of fine tune our skills. Sonny went one direction, I went another direction, and just kind of getting out of that high population of deer. And man, we we just we've always we we've grown up in the woods, fishing and hunting since we were big enough to carry something. And anyway, we just kind of taught ourselves, and you know, we you know try to learn from everybody else we can, and and just kind of developed into two totally different styles of hunting, but. You know, all in all, I think we still kind of have some of the same core ideas and tips, you know, that that help us. Absolutely. And one thing I'm excited about this, and Sonny, I'm about to ask ask you a similar question, but is uh, with you guys being cousins, the whole idea of, you know, y'all kind of hunt in different parts of the state. So when y'all hunt, you know, Michael, you kind of hunt more in the eastern part of the state, and Sonny more in the western part of the state. But y'all still overlap a little bit when it comes to, like, potentially hunting together and kind of switching out throughout different parts of the season. But... It is the the difference of habitat terrain that each of you guys hunt, and y'all both figured it out quite well, and are extremely successful hunting up there in Arkansas. Um, and actually, a little bit later on the episode, we're going to talk about y'all's YouTube channel, um, where they can kind of see some of these hunts. I know Michael, you film a whole bunch, um, and people can kind of go see some of these hunts that we may be talking about today in these episodes or this episode. But Sonny, what is your background when it came to introduction to hunting public land and and where did that kind of maybe become a potential i guess a passion for you as much as you do especially in that western part of the state well like michael stated you know we both hunted down south and we had family deer camps and uh they 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 shot too many little deer and they uh they didn't there there was no opportunity down there so i got to fishing up in that western part of the state and around some lakes and stuff introduced to some woods and uh i had a year off of work i didn't have to work and i had done a lot of scouting and i realized real fast that uh there was way more mature bucks up there uh not as many deer uh and there was nothing like that where i was hunting down south i guess it was, they were just shooting them all 
So uh, I migrated up there. Uh, we got a place to stay. And uh, that's where I've been ever since. I think I've been up here for the last 15 years and never seen nothing like that down south. Never seen nothing come back to our camps. Uh, I see them all the time. I just pass. So I guess that's my background. I, I love it up there. Um, He's a hillbilly. Yeah, I'm a hillbilly now. I went from a redneck to a hillbilly, but uh, I enjoy the scenery. Uh, something different all the time. So it's sitting in the same box stand or looking up and down a gravel road. Uh, now I'm out in the wilderness and uh, I move all the time and I'm, I'm somewhere different constantly. So, Sonny, kind of with you being, uh, as you're calling yourself a hillbilly, a little bit more up in the mountains and everything and kind of learning that hunting style. And like you said, you know, less deer numbers than what you're all, were, you know, used to hunting down in the south at y'all's hunting camp. But the quality was a lot better uh, and still is probably a lot better. Uh, less deer, but more probably better age structure and mature bucks, which is always fun. Now, on the flip side, Michael, what is kind of like your background now doing the whole public land thing, kind of focusing a little bit more on the eastern side of the state, and how has that kind of progressed for you and what you've learned up there versus what y'all are doing down at your hunting camp? Right. So so I went, I went like, I, like, like we've already said, you know, I went from a deer camp uh, to public land, and that was a big adjustment for me. You know, I've got some private places I hunt as well, um, but when, when you jump into the public scene, it totally changes. Um, the deer, the deer aren't the same as they are on private. You know, they're much harder to, to pattern and what have you. So it really, it really kind of upped. It, it kind of, it, it was more of a challenge for me, and I kind of took that challenge and run with it. What I found is, you kind of gotta find these little hidden core areas. That that's that's kind of where my success has been. Um, finding these finding these places sometimes they're overlooked right by a road sometimes they're one mile in i mean but but the deer is going to have a little core area um uh, you know for example i hunted a wma in east arkansas and had an encounter with a 180 inch buck right i mean right by everybody driving right by him and didn't end up, end up harvesting him but that teaches you a lot of stuff when you're hunting public because them deer outsmart everybody i mean that's where all the really, really big deer that's killed in Arkansas, most of them, are killed on our public land. Now, when you switch from your deer camp atmosphere, which like sounds like that was like a maybe a pretty good piece of private land, maybe there's a lot of deer, but not like quality deer management or anything going on. What what was your hunting style there? And then when you switched over to the public land, were you doing the same stuff you were doing on private land, or did you have to completely start from scratch? Absolutely not. So on, on the, I started, I, I, I developed some habits. So when I was on the, in the private land at the deer camp, I, that was when I was old enough to get a climber and start getting more mobile. So I started kind of seeing if you move around and you can, you can get into these core areas that traditional box stand, you're not going, you're not going ever, you know, it's kind of permanent. So I kind of started changing my habits a little bit before I got out of deer camp. Then once I moved out into the public land, uh, it was a totally different ball game. I had to change, I had to change up even more. Um, basically, you know, your your deer camps in Arkansas is established stands. Some some of them, some people hunt out of climbers, but most of them, most of them are uh, propane heated box stands and and you know with feeders and absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, but man, I just 
it was like turning on a light switch for me going being able to to go out and, and slip into these places it's it's almost like you're going into their home you know and 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 down south at the deer factory you know when opening weekend came all the four wheelers buzzing around and a lot of times i would go down there a week ahead of time and it was so quiet and then all of a sudden it was just like a buzz the, like the woods were alive with people and it's it, it, it flipped the light switch man th- those deer know those mature deer for sure know that we're here you know what i mean and a lot of them a lot of the mature deer down south get killed two and three weeks into the season because of that because they go they go they hold up and then right about the time when the rut really when they can't hold up no longer they slip up and somebody gets them and that's so it changed everything about how I hunt when I moved from private down south to public land. Changed it all for yeah. me. Most big buck deer die of old age. This is plain and simple. They just don't. Okay, they're yeah. they're actually that smart. So that's why you never kill one. It just gets <laughs> away from. Them. Yeah, I wasn't butting in with them. No. <laughs> That's that's actually something we've been talking about more and more with folks is like, man, there's a lot more deer that probably die of old age than people realize, specifically big bucks. Uh, now, Sonny, I'm, I want to pitch that same question to you. Was it kind of the same uh, experience for you where you were hunting the, the private land and then you just completely had to start from scratch and just, I, I guess, uh, reform all your tactics in order to find success? Well, yeah, I used some of my same tactics, which I was in a climbing stand a lot. I was different than most of the people in the deer camp. I didn't get in the box stands much, but there just was no opportunity to, for deer management, as you put it, uh, people were just happy to kill a six point or a little eight point. And then when I moved up there, uh, there was less hunting pressure. Uh, I have multiple thousands of acres to hunt that I didn't have before. And choosing a muzzleload season, uh, which was deterrent for some people, they didn't like it or they didn't have the muzzleloader. Uh, I have the national force to myself a lot. I do not see people. Uh, I don't run into hunters. I don't see stands in the woods. Uh, and I still use my climbing stand. But what I couldn't do down south in a deer camp, but I couldn't slip through the woods and kill a deer. Okay. Because it was mostly flat land and thicket. But uh, up in the forest, uh, you know, it's, it's mountains. So I can slip over hills. I can sit and look down and up. And you can actually kill a deer from the ground. And that was nothing. I could never do that down there. So, uh, and I've killed many slipping through the woods. It's just a technique that I had to learn uh, using, using my deer calls. They did not work down south. That was a joke. It scared deer. But up there... They respond to it. Uh, not every time. I'd say maybe 20% of the time. Most deer don't listen. But, uh, and, and, yeah, it was a big transition. And I will, I will never go back. I will stay up there forever. I love hunting because uh, it's just actually less deer pressure. you got a deer camp down south. It's got 20 members. And uh, they kill too many of the deer. Uh, they never mature. Um, and up there. There, there's not near as many hunters and uh, yes it's it's a nuisance to have to deal with a, a hunter that comes in on your area at certain times and it's just uh, the way the ball game is played sometimes but uh, where i hunt i i never like 
in a 10-year period, I might see two hunters unless I see them on my game camera sometimes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm hunting on public land from now on. I'm never leasing anything or I'm hunting for free. That's awesome. Uh, Michael, I want to go ahead and jump back to one thing that you said earlier that kind of caught my attention, and that was the the thing about core areas, and you focus on core areas, and that's kind of been your thing. Uh, can you just explain that and kind of your thought process and, and your tactic there? So so several years ago, I think a year or two uh, before me and Jacob started talking, uh, I really got – I got serious about hunting a certain public area close to my house. And so I got, I'd done tons of scouting. Uh, it was close enough to home. I could scout three or four times a week. And I'm, I'm talking about a couple of miles every time I'd go. I, you know, I put in plenty of boots on the ground. So I, I got to noticing that, you know, when it when it comes time for the deer start laying down sign and putting rubs and scrapes out, I got to noticing that they were in certain particular particular areas, and I really got to noticing how how the layout was. It was always an overlooked area or an area that was kind of hard to get to, and that's a good thing about Arkansas. We've got a lot of swamps. Uh, there's a particular body of water on this piece where I end up killing 140 inch deer, uh, the deer that I was after. And so basically what I've done is I found his core area. Not only the deer I was after, I ended up encountering three other bucks. Uh, and that's, and that's almost like a light switch. When you find that right spot, there's not going to just be one buck. It's going to be several in that little small area. But that, that was the key for me is finding places that, most people are not going to go that, quite that far to, um, or, or it's kind of hard to get to. Some of them was I had to go in and hack, hack around a swamp to get around behind the swamp from the road. And, and a couple of those places wasn't 200 yards off the road. You just couldn't get to it. You know, it was just limited access. That was the, that was the places that I really started keying in on and immediately started having success. Now, what, what kind of sign are you looking for? in a spot like that uh specifically is it if it is it just buck sign or is it tracks and if it is buck sign what what tells you that that's the spot versus like like i'm just thinking about times when i've found a big cluster of rubs like in the in a bunch of open hardwoods or something and 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 i've wasted a bunch of hunts there trying to hunt it and uh and never had anything show up so how do you know that you're on the the right buck sign well that's a that's a good a good question so just so happens this piece of property that I that I have I have found several core areas. This big piece of property you can't we can't put out ga uh, game cameras can't put out any trail cameras. On the flip side, Sonny puts out dozens of game cameras, and, but he he, he lots and lots he puts them all cameras. over the place, miles apart, with no phone service. So so what so what I've noticed that that. What I look for, number one, you said tracks. A little bit early season, I start looking for tracks. I look for deer beds, and I look for droppings. That ain't really what we call them, but I look for droppings. Yep. And then I wait. I don't go in those areas too hard. And when, when I, and then I wait. Since we can't have game cameras, I'll wait till the till they start putting their initial rubs down, 
And I'm going to be honest with you, not putting out cameras, uh, everybody runs cameras nowadays. Not putting out cameras, not being able to put out cameras, it makes you kind of go back in time where you got to do that old school scouting and you got to look at them tracks and you got to look at that sign and you got to dream about what he is. And that's really what it's really exciting because you really don't, unless you see him, you really don't know what you're getting into, but that's what I, it's, it's a combination of all of that for me. That's when I know I'm in a core area, but it just so happens. It's always got a really, really good thicket or two that's real close to a good food source and some, you know, really kind of core funnel areas also. The place that, that I have had so much good luck, it is a really, really big creek bottom that funnels down really, really tight. You got thickets on both sides, bedding areas, and that's just, I mean, that's just the key for me is is all, all that in, in combination, tracks, poop, sign, rubs, scrapes, seeing and just seeing deer there in general, you know. Mm-hmm. Sonny, what'd you have to add to that? Because I saw you kind of kind of raising your hand a minute ago. Oh, well, you know, we have different styles. I hunt all over the place, okay? And I run multiple game cameras, uh, which I do not have phones numbers where I'm at, so I can't do the fancy ones. And uh, I usually put them out in September. And then but what my rule is, I don't check my game cameras. You don't go back in the woods. You do not scare deer away. Uh I change spots a lot. I don't hunt the same spot no more than a, a day or a, a half a day. And as I go back into the woods on hunting season, my cameras have been out a couple months. Uh, I check the camera after I hunt and I decide whether I want to go back. And then if there's nothing on my camera, then that spot goes downhill. So I move all over the place and, and that's where I have my best luck. And, Guys, there are so many monster bucks out there that I I don't know where they're at, um, but they're on my cameras. But <laughs> good gracious almighty, uh, it, it, public land has giants. Has giants. Uh, and you just get lucky every once in a while and you get a glimpse of one and then, you know, sometimes you get an opportunity to take a shot. But, yeah, I, I move a lot. I don't – and what, one of the things I did – integrate into my hunting was my still hunting like i told you before you know i'll come out it might be the first morning of the season and lots of people are all geared up about they're gonna go climb their tree and they're ready to go and they're they're they got a deer on camera and most of it's at night and hopefully he'll come out in the day well i i I get around in different spots put a backpack on with cameras and pack my lunch and uh, i stay out all day long and then every, every about three years, you'll find the hot spot. And this is a deer sign that you're looking for. And it's unmistakably, you know, there is multiple buck deer there. There'll be 50 or 20, what I call pollens, scrapes. They're fresh, look like you run deer away from the area. And when you do find something like that, okay, if you have enough time in the day, hide. Don't leave that spot. You're already there. Something's fixing to come through. Walk out in the dark. Do not leave that hot spot right then. And then before it gets dark, mark you somewhere to climb a tree or somewhere to hunt on the ground if you're not able to do that. Natural blinds, no tents. Don't put tents up. Deer see tents. So, but never leave a hot spot. If you're if you got enough time to hunt and sit still. And me traveling around like that, 
if you're not in a hot spot, you're just getting one wandering through or, you know, in the rut and getting lucky. But the hot spot means there's a hot doe in that area. Uh, this is what I've learned or more than one. And that's when they go to laying down stuff because those pollens and stuff, they'll go cold and you'll wonder why. Well, there's nothing there. The, the does don't went out of heat. I figured a few things out watching my cameras and things. So quit hunting them dead pollens because two or 300 yards over there, there's another hot spot, but you can't find it because there's too many woods. So uh, I'm through talking. Y'all can ask more questions. Hey, you just walked right into what I was going to ask about. So good job. Um, so I, I want to get into the the fact that you're hunting deer that are pretty nomadic and we we got a, a more mountainous area that we hunted last year we actually just did a whole podcast about this um and last year we kind of walked into exactly what you were talking about we we had pre-scouted the area and we kind of knew about it but when we went to actually go hunt it it was super hot like what you're talking about and we killed two bucks in two days in there and uh it, it was just like a really good hunt and that's a good tip about hey if you find it you know stay in there and and don't leave that sign but what i wanted to ask about is in your area when you find something that, that that's that hot how often is it that you can come back to that spot reliably and again for the listeners we're talking about a big woods mountainous setting here not necessarily like timber country or anything like that or agricultural like big woods mountain country are you able to come back to that year after year or are the deer so nomadic that every year you're just bouncing around trying to relocate them well uh the deer unpredictable guys uh i have no telling how many spots that they light up different times of the year and no, they are cold. Sometimes uh, I killed a, like a 164 inch 14 point like three years ago. And this, there was multiple big bucks in there. And there was another game camera that took pictures of me. Um, actually, I think I took the deer in front of the game camera and it was not my game camera. So uh, that spot has not, not, not a quietened down, but, no, you, you can go back and look, but they are not always there. But, yeah, do repeat and check your your your, your areas where the buck sign is because when they do light up, and I don't know what makes it happen. I wish I was a deer, but um, the, you just got to go look at it and try, try new spots. Move over just a little bit. Do something different because deer know you're there. Uh, the big deer is smart. Uh, you'll push them over a little bit. They can't leave. They have nowhere to go. Um, cause I hunt where, uh, they run dogs a lot. Um, which, uh, so you have to adjust to that. And I found that that is a plus for me, uh, which I don't hunt when they run dogs. I quit hunting. I moved and, and I hunt somewhere else. But anyways, I know that the deer are there cause my cameras say they're there. But when they go to running the dogs, the deer quit they lay down and they hide so scoot over a little bit where they're hiding and maybe you'll see one Mm -hmm. now one more question on that do you use your cameras if you're not checking them until you go hunt are you ever using your cameras for annual patterns where you're like okay this area was really hot on the week of october 25th last year so this year i'm going to go check that area at the same time and, and see if it's something that occurs like around the same time every year uh, yes, I do that. I keep a little bit. I use like a calendar, matter of fact, and I write notes on my calendar, kind of like fishing, how many I caught, you know, what time of day it was. Uh, 
but I hadn't really set up a real good pattern with that because um, it, 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 they're unpredictable. I hadn't figured the deer out yet. So my best advice is I move, I move a lot. I move around and I, I don't, I don't frequent a place a lot. Um, I, I, I think I assume I'm leaving them alone and they get comfortable back in that spot again. Uh, one of my best tips is element of surprise. Uh, you sneak back in there and you be quiet in a place you had like, okay, I got a lean to stand. Okay. And I have, and it's on a little bit piece of property, but it's bordering the national forest. So I'm allowed to leave it there all the time. I hunt it every other year. And one time and I go get in it. And every time I get in it, uh, I got to make myself not shoot them things. Uh, they're so close and I've never killed a big one there yet. And I put my father in it cause he's a little elderly and he usually takes one, but, uh, it's just keeping those areas quiet. Um, and, and I'm lucky that I have a vast acreage of land that during the black powder season, there's no one there. Uh, there, I, I mean, I'm not hunting a permit hunt. Uh, there's, there's not a, a select amount of hunters that's coming down there. So I'm hunting an open national forest and, and I've, I've got a, a vast area, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres, 1.9 million acres of wild forest. Which I got a little bit, little bit of it. So, um. uh, Michael, I want to hop back to what uh, you were talking about earlier too. On the same subject of trail cameras, you were saying that it's almost good that you're not allowed to use them where you're at because it kind of forces you to go back and and I guess pay more attention to the sign on the ground and uh, and I guess use your your woodsmanship. Can you expand on that just a little bit more about? what it was like adjusting to that and, and some of the specific things that you're looking for that, that tip you off when you can't use trail cameras where you're just going off of what you see on the ground when you're scouting. So, yes. And, and really what that amounts to basically, and going back to what Sonny said, he puts cameras out and basically what he's doing with his cameras is he's eliminating, he's, he's picking his places where not to go. He may have a half a dozen places that's on fire. Well, he so when he goes in there, he, he's he's got a, a bunch of places he don't have to go back to. So in my situation, I think I think that what that does, knowing I can't put cameras out, it makes me scout more. Uh, it makes me be out there more, and 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 that's kind of tough because you don't get that element of surprise like he's talking about because it ain't just me scouting. I've got other people in those woods as well that that have you know that have access to that, and they're going they're they're thinking the same thing. They they don't a lot of the younger guys they don't they know they can't put cameras out, so they're out there beating the woods up too. And and what happens is it makes the deer go nocturnal really really quick, and it makes them go to these to these places I'm talking about. And when you can find that. It's just lights out. I mean, you're gonna have a good hunt. You know, you may not, you're not gonna shoot with a deer every time, but you're gonna see, you're gonna see, you know, you're gonna see a lot of activity when you do. But it just made me scout more. I think that's, I think that's uh, pretty much it in a nutshell. Knowing I can't get them cameras out, you know, what I'm doing in my scouting is I'm eliminating, basically doing the same thing he's doing. I'm eliminating areas that I that I probably ain't gonna spend a lot of time in. And I have to do that all year long, 
all season long. So set free rubber boots, the whole nine yards, every, every step I take, you know, to keep that, you know, to keep my scent out of it and every advantage you can do. Mm-hmm. Michael, we've we got to talk more. I've, I've got so many questions for each one of you. Uh, Cause Sonny, I want to come back to you in just a moment and talk to you about trail cam strategy a little bit more, but, um, Michael, with you on, you know, some of these properties you're hunting on, specifically some of these properties that you can't run trail cameras on, um, that is, it, it's a, it's an interesting, um, I, I guess, hurdle that some listeners probably listen to, like, well, how, you know, so many people this day and age, and we're, we're guilty of it too, uh, pretty much all the properties we hunt, we can run trail cameras on all of the public. And, um, you know, you use them and it's fun. And Sony, I, I know you probably have an absolute blast. You pull some trail camera cards and you get an absolute slammer on camera. You're like, oh boy, let's go. But when you yeah. don't have that, some of the listeners are like, well, dude, like, again, kind of going back to, you know, pre-trail camera uh, time frame, which is before mine and Andrew's time, you know, there's always been some sort of, you know, trail camera, whether it's film camera or something since we've been around. But um, it, it is interesting just what that woodsmanship skill sets can teach you on, you know, the quality deer that you're looking for and, and that sound that that deer lays, but also how much, I guess, the hunting pressure also plays in, plays into consideration of how you scout stuff. Because, you know, if I had a guess, and maybe you can kind of talk about this, you know, if you scout a spot looks dynamite, but you start seeing tr- tree stands hung up, you know, fresh tree stands, boot tracks, the whole nine yards, will that turn you away from a spot? Or is it one of those things that if the sign's still there and you think a buck's going to daylight in that location, would you still kind of go and, and enter back into one of those spots, uh, even though there, there's somewhat of a hunter presence at some point? So so that's a good question. I mean, if it's – and I'm thinking when I answer this, I'm thinking of one or two particular places where I've had success or I've seen uh, many, many deer on one set, you know. So if, if I, if that, that, that is a good question. So if I go in that spot that I'm thinking of and I encounter somebody and by the way, my spot, I sit on the ground. I just happened. It just happens to be open enough in the end of these bottoms. I sit on the ground. I don't, I don't have a stand up there. Cause I, that to me, that's giving it away. That's showing somebody else. Hey, this is a good, you know, somebody got a stand up here. It's a good spot. Cause they'll get in your stand sometimes. So as far as a ladder or lock on or or whatever. And so if I see someone now, it all depends on going back to what he said. If I've got two or three different spots that are on fire and I got human traffic in one of them, yeah, I'm, I'm going to opt out of that. And I might go back to and hunt it. I might take off work and hunt it on a Thursday where it's had all week to kind of cool off. That'd be my strategy for that. So I would go to the other one, where I gotta hack my way in, where I don't think, you know, where I don't think nobody's I'll go, you know, I'll go hit that one that don't have no human traffic. It's just I just don't want to be around, I don't want to walk in behind somebody else. And I'm every, we're all guilty of that. But if I've got other options, I'm gonna go to those other options. If I don't, I'm going right in there, right either behind them or in front of them. Yeah. It, it's but, it's rough to pull up to your spot and there's a truck already parked there and make yourself go in there with that other gentleman or yeah, or, or, or yeah. ma'am or madam or whatever. Yeah. Cause you know, you're, he's already in there. She's already in there. And, uh, it, it's hard to go in there. Sometimes it'll, it'll deter me. I'll, I'll back out of there. Cause I usually have a backup plan. If I got enough time, even if I'm a little late getting in there. So it's a lot of it's respect for other hunters also. So just move over a little bit and get away from them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Side note, real quick. This is on. Uh, this is a total side note. I have to talk about this in the outro. Talk about like someone beat you to the spot, whatever. Like kind of backing out. I had a, this is during turkey season here in Alabama, but I was driving to a spot. I was literally f- almost forty minutes away from the spot, and this little Ford Ranger kind of got out in front of me. <laughs> Listen, and we're hunting some huge piece of public land. This dude goes. I follow him for 40 minutes, and he pulls up within 200 yards where I'm trying to park the truck, dude. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, are you they're like, you know, just have, you know. Sonny, when you said that, I was like, that is the first thing that came to mind. I'm like, I, you know, what, what's the odds? What's the odds you follow somebody for, you know, 50 miles, and uh, they're, they're pulling up to the exact same spot you're going to? Oh, I, oh hey. So I, I we've kind of crisscrossed a little bit. I've went up and hunted. I've had success up there in the mountains with Sonny. And he, he, first year, he took me and showed me all the places where he hunt and where he hunts. And so I go up there one day, middle of the week, guys, middle of the week on a Wednesday, took off. It was rainy, drizzly rainy. I was going to go up there, drove. It's almost two hours for me to drive where I live. I drive all the way to my spot, unload my four wheeler, out of the truck, drive another 20 minutes through the woods. And I get up there to my place that I'm going to go. I'm talking about smack dab in the middle of nowhere. And there's a little trail in it, and it forks off. And there's a Toyota Tacoma sitting right there, 100 yards from where I'm going to hunt. And I done drove two and a half hours to get there. Middle of the week, ain't nobody around nowhere. And this guy's right beside me. Everybody. So I turn around and come home. That's what That was my plan for that. I just come back to the house. <laughs> just burnt, burnt some gas on that trip. You ever had a note left on your truck? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jacobs had some colorful notes wrote, wrote for his truck. I, I've had a beer can hung from my game camera on a, and had a note wrote on the back of a camouflage piece of tape, and uh, they were pretty rude to me. But <laughs> they had a game camera up also, and they filmed me put my game camera up, and uh, they they accused me of all kinds of stuff I didn't do. <laughs> Anyways. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u 
L-O-C-K-Chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at TrueLockChokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Well, kind of, uh, kind of get back to this, uh, Michael. I, I want to kind of stay on this path real quick, and then Sonny, I've got again kind of some troll cam, more troll cam questions for you. But Sonny, or I'm sorry, uh, Michael, with without being able to run trail cameras, okay? Do you do much summer scouting? Like, are you doing anything in the summer right now to kind of get ready for the fall when it comes to, like you know checking out new spots? Or are you like to kind of wait until like a month or two before season to really start getting out there and start finding that stuff that that more fresh sign? Yeah, so so what I yeah, I do a lot of it just so happens I do I'm able to fish in this same area that I hunt and I do, you know, I'm 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 in the in and out of there. I do a lot of I do a lot of glassing from the truck or when I'm on the water and I, I believe it or not, and I was I just commented on on a on a Facebook post about, you know, what 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 do you? What's your scouting tips for this time of year? And, and my thing is focus on the water. And and so I do I do that. I, I do a lot of scouting from the boat, uh, fishing and scouting for deer. Uh, but some of the places I hunt is very limited access until season comes. So kind of limited on those areas. But the other areas I hunt, I'll I'll go out there and go fishing just so I can do kind of double down on it. Now, uh, so that's pretty much just to kind of keep tabs of where some of the deer are at. But like when it comes to like scouting super hard of kind of like these some of these like uh, core areas, these kind of overlooked spots that you're trying to find when season kind of comes in and the season's here, is a lot of that really taking place right when season's starting to open, or is any of that taking place maybe a few weeks ahead of time when it comes to like really you know burning the boot leather and really spot checking spots, but also yeah. trying to expand out your search area to try to find more areas that are similar to some of the areas you've had success with. So yeah, most of it most of it is pretty close to the season. Uh, not necessarily. I'll say this: when the when the in our area, the red oaks and pin oaks start falling first, and that's when I hit. That's when I hit the woods, and I find where the does are feeding, and where the you know where you, when you find what I call the magic or the candy tree. When you find that, that's where you're going to see your bucks in the daylight early season, and that's that's kind of what I. That's really when I ramp up my scouting is is early September, when you start getting those little thunderstorms come through and blow them acorns out. That's when you, to me, that's when I, that's when I get kicked off. I mean, uh, any other scouting I do is usually from the boat or from the truck from a distance. But, um, and that's kind of unfortunate if you think about it, because you, you gotta, if there's a limited amount of acres you're looking at and myself and other guys are doing that right during season, you know, it's, it's kind of a, da- it's kind of a drawback because it, it does hurt the deer activity a little bit. Um, but that's that's when most of my scouting is, is when the acorns start falling, and and that could be and then we all know, you know every you know some some acorns don't fall every single year, so that could be some of the things going on with with spots like that. Sonny's talking about where they're hot one year and not the next, but but uh, most of my scouting is during early September. Perfect. Now, uh, Sonny, I want to get back to you and talk some trail cameras here. Um, you're talking about running a decent amount of trail cameras up there in the mountains um, and just covering a ton of ground. I've got to ask, you know, you're talking about like those, the pawings, the, you know, the finding those scrapes and stuff. 
at what point, when you're talking about running trail cameras, I think you were talking about kind of starting to put them out in September. What are you wanting to put your trail cameras on in September when a lot of that rut sign's not being, or even pre-rut sign's really not being put down a whole bunch? I mean, there's some, but it's not nearly like it's going to be in late October. Um, what do you like to put your trail cameras on that early in the season? And you talk about like pretty much leaving those trail cameras there, so I'm, I'm guessing they're in some kind of spot. You're going to have some you know, travel corridors or something that bucks are going to be coming through, but can you give us some examples of what you like to put trail cameras on in the mountains? Sure. Well, uh, most of the time it's a, a spot I've revisited. I know there's probably going to be some buck sign there. Okay. And then I venture out and I usually take about five or six cameras and I walk through the woods in like a travel corridor, something I can tell maybe an old log road or something I know. I actually have a game camera. I've been out since last uh, September and I think it flooded it and I never, I think I ruined it. But yeah, I leave them out all the way till February most of the time, you know, until the deer season closes. Um, and being that I can't watch my game cameras and I don't like to go back into the cameras until I'm hunting that area, uh, a lot of it is preparation for the next year because he's going to get bigger. And if I know he's there, then, you know, because I'm already going to go hunt these spots or or, or destinations and I don't know what's on my card yet. And then when I come back, look at this card, I say, Oh my goodness, I'm going to go back and visit this spot a lot. Uh, and even if there's not a lot of buck sign there or deer sign, uh, but, but sometimes it leads me to the next year. And then I will go put cameras back out and I will put stands out in advance. When we can put them out so many days in advance and we have to take them or remove them or whatever, so it's preparation for the next year, hoping that he doesn't get taken. Um, so the game cameras really don't always benefit me the year of. Uh, yeah. So, so tell him about real quick about the deer. So he he runs his another good point. He runs his cameras all video mode, all video mode. I don't run any pictures because you'll miss out on so much stuff. This other wildlife uh, deer's doing this crazy stuff uh he was getting shot <laughs> oh yeah yeah like i like i mentioned earlier I, I i'm pretty sure i took that one deer on someone else's camera um then i had a camera off of a off of a gas line and i'd forgot about it and i went back and picked it up uh, probably around march or april and i had a nothing i would have probably shot but uh someone shot a deer right in front of my camera and then they come out there with walkie-talkies. They were running their dogs, and they had little number five markings on their dogs and whatever. And so I took it on myself to find this person. And it took me a while, and I, I found the gentleman, and uh, we ended up kind of making friends, and I gave him the video. And it was it was kind of neat to watch a deer get taken on my camera, which you know, I don't know if that's irony or what they call that, right? Uh, it was that was pretty cool. I, I love my game cameras, guys. I just soon run my game cameras. I had taken it. All right, I'm gonna tell y'all right now. Uh, I was uh, I was showing Andrew some stuff, uh, Sonny. We're, first off, we're gonna do another episode, Sonny. I'm gonna have you back on. We're gonna talk with you even more so about some of your grounding. I don't want to get into it too much in this episode because I want to do an, another full length episode, uh, kind of on that specific tactic for like October uh, in your area of the country. Um, but I do want to talk more about even the scouting aspect for both of you guys and the kind of the differences between you two. Um, 
So, Sonny, again, like the trail camera strategy is, is, is pretty big. Like you're talking about kind of going back to areas that you've seen bucks on in the past, you know, rubs, scrapes, probably a lot more even on the scrape side of stuff. And you're kind of branching out from there from travel corridors that you think, you know, you can kind of find bucks coming through. Can you give me some other examples of what some travel corridors would look like in the mountains where you're at? You've already mentioned like logging roads, but what are some other examples of travel corridors up there in the mountains that maybe catch your attention about like putting a trail camera on? Well, uh, in the mountains, uh, you know, buck deer like to run the top of the ridges a lot. So, um, you can go to the very tip top of a mountain and you can walk down it. Okay. And then vice versa, you go to the very bottom of the mountain and you stay pretty close to the, if you can find you somewhat of a Valley, uh, it, it's, it's those two spots. Um, yeah. And Michael likes, he likes the saddles. Um, I, I don't do it as much as Michael does, but the very top of a mountain, you go right down the top of it, okay, whether it's sticky or whatever it is, and he'll lay buckstein down the top of it. And then you go to the very bottom of it, and you stay within a 30- or 40-yard area right there, and you'll find more buckstein. Now, from there to the top, it's, it's hit and miss. That's, that's his trail going up or down or something different. Uh, they will follow those things just like, you know, morning does – Follow the river or follow rock dikes. They they love following the bottom and the top. Yeah. And they just will do it until they decide to go, you know, vertical and go down and change to another mountainside. So that would be one of my tips is just to stay you know, on horizontal on the top of the mountain and the bottom of the mountain and look for it there. What are some of the examples of uh, path of travel they'll use to go up or down that mountain? I mean, is it like ditches? Is it little high spots, secondary ridge points? Have you noticed any kind of pattern there of what those bucks will use to go up or down off the mountain? No, not really. Uh, to be honest with you, it's just it's just sporadic. Uh, they'll do whatever they want to do. Uh, I haven't figured that one out yet. It's just uh, they will take uh, to lay their bucks on. They will take the pattern. Uh, the The woods is not as thick. Okay, they don't like to go right through the thicket and lay bucks on. They get out in the open. I don't know whether that's for the females to find and, you know, because they don't care as much about staying hid. Uh, so you can stay out of the thicket then, but you want to hunt in the thicket if you want to kill a big one. So, or hunt where you can see into the thicket. But now, I, don't have a, I don't have a resolution for going, doing the other path. They just do what they want to do whenever they, you know, Maybe the train not as bad. Maybe not rocky is bad for them to climb, or maybe a path of less resistance, something like that, something easier for them. Sonny, also in those areas, you're talking about you know trying to stick with that sun on top of the mountains and at the base of the mountains. Uh, typically in those areas, you know, what does the typical top of some of these mountains look like? I mean, are these fairly skinny ridge points or ridge lines? You know, are they really big flat top mountains? That I mean, well, you can go for like three quarters of a mile across the top of the flat, or are they pretty tight? You know, are they thick? Or are they kind of open? Kind of, you know, what's some of the different examples that you can kind of give us about, you know, what that kind of stuff looks like? Okay, well, most of them, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty skinny because uh, most of the like gravel roads up there where I hunt, if you're driving down the the road and you was to see, you know, a deer or something. Uh, if it was to run from me, it'd be gone, you know, in, in a matter of seconds. Off the edge. Yeah, off the edge. So most of the ridge tops are little, and 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 some of them are open, and some of them tighten up, and then you got to go around. But no, you most of them you stand on, and you you can't see down in the valleys. You got to move to one side or the other, 
if you want to hunt like that, because you do want to hunt like that, but best thing to do is get the climbing stand and climb up, and then you can hunt both sides and both valleys. And then it, it's, it's nice to hunt on the top. Or you can hunt in the bottom and hunt, look up to, to both tops. So don't don't split it. Try to get on the top or the bottom and always get where you can see. Don't but put a put a thicket by you. It yeah. helps. That's a very common uh factor I've heard with a couple other guys that hunt the mountains of uh you know, getting in a spot where you've got thick cover but you still can see. It's not like you're set up in a spot where you can only see forty yards, like you may see guys you know, hunting more in kind of like flatland, thick country down low, like, uh, you know, some river bottom stuff or like that, or, or even like, uh, you know, planted ponds or like, you know, they don't want to see 200 yards because it's too open. The, the deer aren't going to use that kind of habitat. But if you have a that thick cover that the buck's going to be kind of working the edge of, or those does are kind of be coming in and out of it, but you can still see a decent ways, you have a pretty good opportunity in the mountains. And actually, you remind me of a, a guest we had on from Alabama. Um, he's what uh andrew the guy that we've talked to that hunted the same place or around the same place that we justin houston yeah justin houston so talking justin houston a gentleman from alabama he says the exact same thing you're talking about like he likes to hunt the tops and he wants to be able to find those skinny ridges off the main mountain that when he climbs up in his climber he can see off both sides like what you're saying um so you know some of those tops are only 30 40 yards wide 50 yards wide at the very max but he can climb up high enough where he can see off each edge of it. I mean, he, not, he can't see all the way to the bottom, but he can see down you know, 80 to 100 feet off each side, potentially, and, and catching those bucks kind of working that just the, off the edge of the top, kind of working around and um, either coming up through a saddle or coming up uh, you know, off a ridge point or something like that. And it has a lot of success doing exactly what you're talking about, uh, Sonny. Um, which is interesting, and again, because you know some other guys we've talked to about hunting Ar- and hunting in Arkansas, not necessarily in the same area that you're at, but especially like more north of you. Um, you know, some of those guys we've talked to like to hunt the some big dredge, uh, drainages, big uh, haulers that are coming off the mountain, and they'll kind of get up there at the head of it, catching bucks coming around the top of those things, um, or you know, in around other terrain features. So um, it's interesting to kind of see your similarity with one of our guests from down in Alabama, also hunt some pretty mountainous stuff as well. Um, also up there is. Um, are timber cuts fairly common up there? I mean, do they manage that timber much at all, or is it pretty older? Is it pretty much older growth timber for the most part on, on uh, that part of that uh, piece of public land? Well, in the in the past three years, I have I have seen the timber, uh, the the game of fish, or the Corps of Engineers, or whoever owns the land, the government. They have started cutting a lot, uh, not a lot, ten percent, five percent. I say five percent, yeah, maybe not even five. Uh, but before then, I didn't see anything. All they'd done was control burns. All the trees stayed uh, going. But I have seen a lot of timber getting cut. I don't know whether there was a market for it or they needed it for pay their employees. Or, I don't know why they were cutting the trees, but they started cutting them. So they've put a different habitat out there now uh, that what I would call rifle habitat. Uh, you can go out there and go down a hill and climb up, you know, 30 or 40 foot high and you just hold it steady if you can make a long shot. And that that is a very well, a very good opportunity if you can see that far. And, and if you're a marksman, marksman like that, uh, that, that, that's another way you kill one. Even though lots of people don't think they like to walk out in the open, sometimes they can't help it during the rut. And that helps a bunch. 
Well, especially if you get a couple of years of growth on those clear cuts, you know, it's awesome food source for, you know, four or five years. Uh, and it'd be interesting to kind of see, you know, if you've got some clear cuts around you and there hasn't been clear cuts previously, you know, if you potentially start seeing some uh, increase in, in potential body size of some of those deer, because this is so much food for them to eat outside of just eating mass crops later in the season. Well, what, what, uh, when you say clear cuts, I, I have not, I, I'll take that back. I don't see the, the government clear cutting. They spot cut. Now they spot cut pretty hard. heavy. Pretty heavy. They they never cut everything. They they leave a lot of trees and a lot of vast, you know, uh different trees. Um, but they, they'll never wipe it out. Not not where I'm hunting. because uh, it's big woods. There's big trees out there. And not as big as some of the areas he hunts down there. There's trees down there that's I don't know how old they are. Um, but you know, they, they don't wipe everything out and make it just look like a football field. Yeah, so they don't do that whole Alabama special. Alabama, man, they, they ain't a tree left standing. Unless there's some pieces of public land, they'll do uh, what we call them select cuts, where they come through and they take out a, a certain number of trees. They leave other trees out there. Sometimes they'll leave some of the white oaks, uh, or they'll do select cuts in the pines and leave a couple you know big pines every now and then. Um, but again, awesome habitat when it comes to you know places for bucks to hide when it gets a little bit thicker, and also food sources. But it definitely will change kind of how those deer use those areas. Um Sonny, uh, I want to kind of get back to you as well. When it comes to, you know, y'all's two hunting style, but especially like the scouting style, specifically maybe kind of staying, you know, on the, the, the scouting topic, what have you seen like some similarities between you two? Because again, it's kind of interesting, you know, from both y'all's perspectives, you know, Michael, you're hunting places that, you know, a lot of times you can't run trail cameras. It's not, you're just, it's not allowed to run trail cameras out there where, you know, where Sonny's at, he can run trail cameras on that piece of the public land. Um, what are some of the similarities though, between you two that, that y'all can kind of, uh, relate to, uh, when it comes to maybe like your approach to whether it's scouting and, or actually hunting as well? Well, the, the biggest similarity is, um, we was raised up together from kids. So the things that we learned from our, our dads and our uncles or whatever, they were exactly the same. Uh, so we took those traits and, and the knowledge that our, you know, our, our ancestors give us. And we take them out to the woods and, uh, you know, I run all them trail cameras mostly for my enjoyment, but I, I'm still back to the roots of I'm, I'm finding those deer. I'm, I'm finding where to put the cameras. So the, the, the similarity between us is just what we learned when we were little youngsters and we don't know anything any different. We, we, we really know how to hunt because we've hunted since we were in diapers and we're not going to stop and uh, i'm not saying we're good at it but we're passionate about it uh and, and we look for buck sign if you want to kill a big buck and uh i i gotta give a tip you yeah. want to know how to kill a big buck deer don't shoot a small one. just quit it quit shooting small deer if you want to kill a big one just shoot the big one because he's there too um, if you want, if you just keep shooting them little deer, that's what you're going to kill. And if you quit shooting the little deer, I promise you, within a few years, you're going to kill a big one. All right, that's my tip of the day. I'm sorry. <laughs> Real quick, I got I got I got to agree to that because it was kind of funny. So when I hunted Arkansas, and then Andrew's got a question too. But when I hunted Arkansas last year, came up from the muzzler hunt, found a ton of does, didn't see a lot of bucks, and I actually I, I talked myself into shooting a deer that after the fact, I'm like, I kind of wish I didn't shoot that buck. Um, and it was, it was a younger buck because when I went back during the rifle season when rifle opened, 
I killed a, a, a really I killed a really nice buck uh, on second third day being out there, and I saw like five other shooters of like really nice bucks, like really good bucks. And if I had that second buck tag in my pocket, could have kept hunting, but I didn't. So I was trying to get my brother to kill him, and, and he didn't. He he couldn't close the deal on him. But man, I mean, that, that it's a, it's an excellent point. And one thing that I learned last year, specifically because of this, just because you're not seeing those mature bucks. Wait, unless you're, I mean, if you're on like a, you know, a four day hunt and you're in another, another state, like, you know, it's your own tag, do what you want. But if you have time to hunt a spot, th- there's going to be a certain time when everything, the switch gets flipped and maybe those big bucks who just maybe are just not in the area that you're hunting where all these does are right, and some of these younger bucks are at, if you can't find that buck sign, they're going to quote unquote get woken up and start laying down a ton of sign. Oh my God, that's a big deer. All right. So audio listeners, you can't <laughs> see this right now. But uh, but 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 my man Sonny right here has pulled up an actually giant and he urinated like a crazy person. He ain't even showing about the thing. <laughs> well, listen, okay, I shot this deer because I had to put it on camera and I did not want to. Okay, this is a baby. Oh this God. is not. I'm just proving a point. So I went out later on the season while he was trying to take his tag in Kansas. Okay, and I was doe hunting. And I seen the biggest buck deer of my entire life, way over 200 something inches. Uh, and I had to let it go, dude. And uh, I've never seen nothing that big. It was the biggest 12 point. It was bigger than everything, just about anything I've seen on TV other than the ones they feed and grow. Uh, and I could not shoot it. And I, I panicked and had goosebumps and freaked out and was sweating and was thinking about it and everything else. <laughs> I have done the right thing, I let it go. So yeah, that's a baby compared to what I let go. And it's it's a it's it, it's not Arkansas. I just had to bring it up. I, I shouldn't have shot the dog. That and that just for people referencing that that was uh close to our, probably hundred and fifty inch ten point. Um one, that was the one ten point, yes. Yeah. And so, I, I let something inch deer go. Oh, he might have been bigger than that. I so stirred up, I don't know what I let go. It was huge. Point blank range. Brutal. Standing right broadside. <laughs> looking at me like a zoo. <laughs> that that is that is brutal. Uh Michael, I wanted to ask you something. Go, going back in the conversation a little bit, like Sonny just gave the tip about hunting buck sign and everything. And he's hunting the mountains. You're hunting more of the flat river bottom swampland stuff. I wanted to get back to uh scrapes more specifically. Uh, or pawings, as Sonny was calling them. Michael, do you have any luck around scrapes or scrapes, something that you really hammer down on in that flatland stuff? And and if so, what's kind of the context of those scrapes? So I actually, so I, I'll be honest with you. I have more, more luck um, hunting between those scrapes, like on the transition areas between bedding and feeding areas. If, and, and some of those have scrapes on them as well, some of those areas. But that's where I have most of my luck. I don't I I won't go and set up specifically on a scrape to hunt that scrape. It's got to be in it's got to be in the hot spot. You know what I mean? If it's so I, I per se don't necessarily scrape hunt. Uh, but I will say the the two nice deer that I killed out of that out of that core area that it, it was kind of a pinch point and funnel. Uh, there were scrapes everywhere. I mean, there was pawns all up and down the bottoms for a hundred yards. There was probably a hundred scrapes. I mean, they're everywhere. But I, but I, I didn't even know it until 
after I shot my deer and went over to drag it out, then I seen all the scrapes. I was hunting there because it was a transition area and a pinch point and a funnel area where there's, there, there was two bedrooms on each side and a, uh, and a dining room table in the middle type of deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of buck sign, uh, real quick, what kind of buck sign was in that spot that kind of led you to it? And the reason I ask is I'm kind of curious about like what rubs versus scrapes mean to you, because a lot of times I'll be scouting an area and I'll see like a, like a beech tree. we got a lot of beech trees here and they got just the most perfect scrape limbs ever. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, this this is a good area. And I'll go to that beech tree. And if it doesn't have a scrape under it, I'm like, huh? Like there should be a scrape right here. Like it's just perfect, but there's not one. So I'm kind of questioning the spot now. So what does that, what does that look like for you? Like in that spot, maybe specifically what, what buck sign kind of made you confident in that spot? Well, so first and foremost, I I found this spot because, so this is what made me find the spot. It was way, way, way off the road. Okay. And of course it had those two bedding areas. On each side of it, it was at a pinch point in, in some bottoms. And when I found it, there was deer droppings and deer tracks and several trails converging into one. Okay. So I slipped in. I slipped. I raked leaves for 100 yards out to a logging road. So I sneak in there and sit down on the ground. And the very first time, I seen two or three shooter bucks. Well, the next time I hunted there, I seen two or three more different shooter bugs. So I didn't, you know, I didn't, and this was early season. This was like early, you know, late October. So at that time, there wasn't, there was a few scrapes, but it wasn't really fired up yet. So really the sign for me was those trails and all the droppings and just beat down just deer traffic in that area around. There's two or three wild trees right at the end of this. Don't you wish you knew where this spot was at? So anyway, and so, but from there on, so so later in the season, like the end of November, I go back in there looking again because I, especially if I've done use my tag and I'm done, I go back in there and these beech trees you're talking about are in here, but we're talking about gigantic rubs. It takes two hands to reach around, and they're from that point. Hunt two or three hundred yards down these bottoms, out into the big open woods where they feed, but they all kind of converged right there. But it was big, gigantic rubs, and you got to you got to think. I, I don't have a trail camera, so I get down here and really study these rubs, and I can see these big burr marks on them. And I know this is a he's a stud, you know. What I mean, he's he might not be real wide, but he's something you want to take home, you know. So I mean, that's it's big rubs, but they're all converging into this this one little core spot. I mean, it's basically a bow hunting spot. Uh, it, it's small enough, tight enough to be a, a bow hunting spot. I just, I stay out of there during bow season. So when I go for muzzleloading season, it's usually, it's usually good. See, he's a muzzleload hunter too. Yeah. If he gets his permit. Yeah. He has to draw the permit where he yeah. goes. Now, yeah. so, so it's not just the size of the rub, but also how, deep and like scarred up that rub is like you want something with some bases on him you know that's got the all little you know gnarly stuff on him yeah you're right so i mean a lot of times i'll pay attention to a rub that was just barely hit but it's got some gouges you know not something that would just sit there and beat down you know like a signpost rub 
just something that he just he just hit it going by one time, and you tell he was he had some strength, and you know, what you know he you can tell that you just know it was a big deer just from experience. So, yeah, yeah, we've heard some other people say similar stuff to that, and it kind of opens your eyes to to what you're seeing in the woods a little bit more and interpreting those rubs. Uh, because you know, it's, it's not like a rub is a rub is a rub. I mean, they're all a little bit different, uh, as far as right. like what you can find from them. Um, now another question about rubs in the early season, do you ever pay attention to what, like, I just, I, we call them whip rubs, but they're just little bitty trees, like the size of your pinky, but they'll be like broken yes. half. That, so that's, a, that's yeah. another thing you like. So that's, that's a good point that you brought up. So a lot of times it'll be a little bitty red oak bush or a little bitty, some kind of little bitty hardwood bush. And it'll be twisted and tore all the pieces, but it'll be about as big as your pinky or maybe as big as your thumb. So my thought on that, he's got to have a lot of tines and a lot of a lot of things going on up here to be able to twist that up. I mean, it ain't a six point doing that. Yeah. Most times, sometimes even an eight point, he's got to have a lot of tines to be able to tangle them up and twist them up. You know, and yeah, I mean, the characteristics of the rubs is I really pay attention to that. I mean, that's a big a big deal and and those are usually mature deer that do that what you're talking about in my opinion and that's that's another thing that the trail cameras do okay michael don't run them like me because he doesn't have the opportunity i i, I know what's doing that um i know what little bucks are doing and what the big bucks are doing uh because i'm watching them on camera uh and, and i take that in and i'll learn from it so uh I like to see that tree they're hooking, and they're hooking a tree behind it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's on a hunt right there. Yeah, yeah, man. Over the years, there's been those little little whip rub, little pinky sized rubs all over the place that that I found, and I'm like, oh man, it's some spike in here, you know, thinking he's something. And now looking back, I'm like, Dad, gum it, man. I walked out of some pretty good looking spots. Looking back on them now. Yeah, not a big a big buck. He'll do that too. I've seen him come through the woods hunting, uh, be in my stand and, and, and watch another buck getting mad at them. And they'll hook everything around them just because they're upset because the other guy's there. So you never know what's hooking that little bitty bush. Mm-hmm. Now, guys, I think we're going to end up having both you guys back on maybe separately and get a bunch of episodes out of this because we could go so deep on a lot of these subjects. Uh, but now to kind of get to a point of wrapping up, we've been going a little bit over an hour here. Uh, what are some just yeah. like, you know, quick hitter tips that, that you guys might have? Like, Sonny, I know you had a list coming into this, but what are some just like good tips that you guys might have that you want to leave some of the listeners with? I could go first. Well, my, my thing is, go, it goes back to the first thing I said, find you a core area. Um, and and when you find it, like, like Sonny does, he'll put his cameras, he already knows where he wants to kind of wants to put them. But when you find that spot, and you know you can get out of there. If it's a spot you know it's not going to get visited by two or three other hunters, stay out of it until you're ready, until everything's right. And I know we've all read this in magazines, but that's that's one of the things I would say. Timing timing is very important. Weather is, is very important. Wind, you know, everybody knows about wind direction, but I mean, don't don't you know? Don't try to don't don't look so forward to it that you that you go in there two or three times trying to you know. You know, you want to time it to where you know the time of the year's right, the time of the day's right. You know, the whole the whole nine yards. To, to me, timing, finding your core spot, 
and and getting your timing in and don't don't go in there too much and make him be aware that you're after him. That's that'd be my that'd be my takeaway on it. So uh my my tip, you know, we, we may contradict ourselves a little bit because you know we don't need one of us have it figured out. So uh, I have a lot of tips. I have a list of tips here that if you follow them all, they make you a better hunter. Um, uh, I think I'm a, a decent hunter. Uh, so I'm just going to give you one that's simple, okay? Uh, do not, not go hunting. If you have the time to go, if you have scheduled a week off, you push yourself. It doesn't matter if it's pouring down lightning or if it's 100 degrees, uh, you do not not go. You stay out there as much as you can stand it. It's called seat time. Okay. I have seen monster bucks in 89, 90 degree weather uh, pouring down lightning, making me nervous. I don't want nobody to be in danger, but uh, don't get up. Oh, it's raining. I'm not going to go. Well, it's going to rain tomorrow. Quit doing that. My favorite time is to hunt in the rain. I mean, I love it. I love hunting in the rain. That is my favorite time. And and I'll give one little extra tip. You need to practice your marksmanship, okay? There are so many people that come back to camp. Man, I, I let him get away. Man, uh, if I'd have had one more moment, well, he better not give me a moment because he's he's done for. I'm, I'm going to take him out. Uh, I'm going to make an ethical shot because I shoot a monster gun. So practice your marksmanship and when you get the, the opportunity arises don't fail never fail take him right then i don't i don't come back and say i missed i don't come back and say he got away uh, he, he comes back with me so there's my other practice shooting a lot there you go there's my tip yeah awesome guys awesome awesome i was gonna say i would throw andrew underneath the bus but i've done it enough we won't have to mention it but, <laughs> you know you know well, some listeners will know what we're talking about here when when uh when uh sunny talks about marksmanship <laughs> Easy. anyway Easy. everybody misses I, even I, I miss occasionally but i try not to see I, i'm trying to do it so like maybe i'll miss a big one this year and then andrew can make fun of me for a whole season but until that <laughs> happens i'm just gonna give him hell um, anyways, but Sonny uh, and Mike, uh, Michael, I appreciate y'all joining us. We're definitely going to have y'all both on uh, independently and do individual episodes with you guys, hopefully next week or two, uh, based around y'all's schedule. Um, but I absolutely appreciate y'all joining us uh, for this podcast, and I know the listeners probably have enjoyed it, and, and hopefully they're going to be super excited to hear you guys coming back on the show and kind of talk even more specifically about each one of you guys and, uh, and get more specific on some of the strategies and, and the tactics. But real quick, before we end, Michael, how can guys follow along with you all? on social media and on YouTube with y'all's YouTube channel? So we have a Facebook group uh, steadily growing. We have picture contests and giveaway items that's donated to us. Uh, Arkansas Extreme Outdoors on Facebook. Arkansas Extreme Outdoors on YouTube. You can actually go on there and see some of the videos. A uh, couple of the videos of the deer I've taken. And actually one of them's in the spot I was telling you about. Uh, but yeah, Arkansas Extreme Outdoors YouTube. We put out a few TikTok videos and and then the Facebook group, Arkansas Extreme Outdoors. Awesome. Yep. Subscribe. We, we 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 catch and kill about everything. There's there's everything from alligators, running nets. Uh, yeah. We have a pretty neat YouTube channel. So. 
Absolutely. Well, guys, appreciate y'all joining us. Listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a buddy or two. And also, if you enjoyed this episode, go leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can leave five-star reviews on Spotify as well. We're uh, about 11 reviews away from 1,000 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if y'all could help us out and go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. But uh, Sonny and Michael, appreciate y'all joining us for this podcast episode. And excited to have you guys back on for a future episode from the Southern Outdoors. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Andrew. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year, and guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.